effect which sufficiently demonstrates their inutility. And in the absence of the propelling, which was also the sustaining power, the whole fabric would necessarily descend. This consideration led Sir George Cayley to think only of adapting a propeller to some machine, having of itself an independent power of support, in a word, to a balloon. The idea, however, being novel or original with Sir George, only as far as regards the mode of its application to practice, he exhibited a model of his invention at the Polytechnic Institution. The propelling principle or power was here also applied to interrupted surfaces or veins put in revolution. These veins were four in number, but were found entirely ineffectual in moving the balloon or in aiding its ascending power. The whole project was thus a complete failure. It was at this juncture that Mr. Monk Mason, whose voyage from Dover to Weilberg in the balloon Nassau occasioned so much excitement in 1837, conceived the idea of employing the principle of the Archimedean screw for the purpose of propulsion through the air, rightly attributing the failure of Mr. Henson's scheme and of Sir George Cayley's to the interruption of surface in the independent veins. He made the first public experiment at Willis's rooms, but afterwards removed his model to the Adelaide Gallery. Like Sir George Cayley's balloon, his own was ellipsoid. Its length was 13 feet 6 inches, height 6 feet 8 inches. It contained about 320 cubic feet of gas, which, if pure hydrogen, would support 21 pounds upon its first inflation before the gas had time to deteriorate or escape. The weight of the whole machine and apparatus was 17 pounds, leaving about four pounds to spare. Beneath the centre of the balloon was a frame of light wood about nine feet long and rigged onto the balloon itself with a network in the customary manner. From this framework was suspended a wicker basket or car. The screw consists of an axis of hollow brass tube, 18 inches in length, through which, upon a semi-spiral inclined at 15 degrees, pass a series of steel wire radii two feet long, and thus projecting a foot on either side. These radii are connected at the outer extremities by two bands of flattened wire, the whole in this manner forming the framework of the screw, which is completed by a covering of oiled silk cut into gauze and tightened so as to present a tolerably uniform surface. At each end of its axis, this screw is supported by pillars of hollow brass tube descended from the hoop. In the lower ends of these tubes are holes in which the pivots of the axis revolve. From the end of the axis, which is next to the car, proceeds a shaft of steel, connecting the screw with the pinion of a piece of spring machinery fixed in the car. By the operation of this spring, the screw is made to revolve with great rapidity, communicating a progressive motion to the hole. By means of the rudder, the machine was readily turned in any direction. The spring was of great power compared with its dimensions, being capable of raising 45 pounds upon a barrel of four inches diameter after the first turn, and gradually increasing as it was wound up. It weighed altogether eight pounds six ounces. The rudder was a light frame of cane covered with silk, shaped somewhat like a battledore, and was about three feet long, and at the widest one foot. Its weight was about two ounces. It could be turned flat and directed upwards or downwards as well as to the right or left, 
and thus enabled the aeronaut to transfer the resistance of the air, which in an inclined position it must generate in its passage, to any side upon which he might desire to act, thus determining the balloon in the opposite direction. This model, which through want of time we have necessarily described in an imperfect manner, was put in action at the Adelaide Gallery, where it accomplished a velocity of five miles per hour, although strange to say, it excited very little interest in comparison with the previous complex machine of Mr. Henson. So resolute is the world to despise anything which carries with it an air of simplicity. To accomplish the great desideratum of aerial navigation, it was very generally supposed that some exceedingly complicated application must be made of some unusually profound principle in dynamics. So well satisfied, however, was Mr. Mason of the ultimate success of his invention that he determined to construct...